I grew up in a single parent home after my mum was courageous enough to walk away from domestic violence that was fueled by alcohol abuse. And I was four and I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, I grew up knowing that, being told that if you believed in God, you'd go to heaven. And that's all you had to do, just believe in God and you'll go to heaven when you die. And of course, when you're a child, the thought of dying is horrific. So you wanna go somewhere good. So I believed in God. Um, I gave my life to the Lord when I was 17, but I actually didn't realise I had done that until I was 37 and did it again. So I haven't had a lot of church experience. I'm um, still in my teens when it comes to following Jesus. Um, <laughs> I went to a little bit of Sunday school. An old lady down the road would pick us up at the end of the driveway, take us to Sunday school and bring us home. When I look back now, I know it was my mum just having the morning off. Um, I went to youth group in high school maybe three times. Uh, and then when I was old enough to drive, I drove my nana to church a handful of times. But that was the majority, that was the, my main church experience, not very much. My lifelong dream was to fall in love, get married, live behind a white picket fence and have children. Four, I wanted four children, I had it all planned out. And then those four children were gonna do what I did and give me lots of grandchildren. And that's all I wanted. I didn't go to university, I, I didn't want a career, I didn't want a profession. And that's, that was my dream. My family doesn't look exactly like I would have imagined they were going to look. They look a bit like this. I think we've got a photo of them. Here they are. Gosh, nothing like a family wedding to get you all dressed up and looking good, hey? Ha! So here they are. That's my beautiful husband, Cam. Uh, we met when we were 17 and then 12 years later we met again. So we had a little bit of a weekend romance at 17. Um, he lived in Victoria, I lived in Queensland. Uh, we met again when 12 years later. And in 12 years, a little bit of life had happened to us. Uh, Cam, as you can see, he, he's not very vertical. Um, so he fell down a stairwell and broke his neck when he was 25 years old. Um, so when I met him, oh man, he was, yeah, anyway, it was really cute. Um, so he became a quadriplegic and then also in my 12 years, I got married and then I got, a divorce, and then I got divorced and then I had a beautiful baby boy out of wedlock and that's him kneeling down beside Cam, that's Michael. We'll talk more about him later, I'm still recovering. Um, <laughs> Those two girls, they're our beautiful twin daughters, Abby and Lucy. Uh, we got married when we were 33. I moved to Melbourne because I figured it might speed up a marriage proposal. We'd been long distance dating for a year and I'd had enough. I wanted the ring. Um, so yeah, so we moved to Melbourne. We got married when we were 32, I beg your pardon. And we had our beautiful girls when um, just over a year later. They were born eight weeks premature. Um, so yeah, they have a few issues, but uh, we love them. We love them just as they are. Abby in the chair, she, um, 
She was the one that needed to come out straight away. She burst into the world too early. And Lucy actually didn't want to come out at all. Labor stopped and she was like, nah, I'm staying here. But um, we did get her out. It was all okay. When Abby was three months old, she developed bacterial meningitis. So she now has what's called known as quadriplegic cerebral palsy, which basically means she doesn't walk or talk and she can't see. So that's my beautiful Abby. And then Lucy standing behind her, she was born four minutes later and um, she's great. But at 10, we found out she also has a vision impairment. It's called um, optic nerve hyperplasia. You learn so many big words when you're the mum of, you know, sick kids. But optic nerve hyperplasia, that simply means that she has really low vision. She won't ever drive a car and I probably wouldn't ask her to do your makeup. So, yeah, so that's my family. Michael, we'll come back to Michael. Oh, he was the sweetest little guy until he turned almost 17 and then he, I don't know what happened to him, but he went away and I didn't know where he'd gone. But between 17 and 23, he gave us a ride. It was like he had decided to ride the roller coaster at the theme park when I thought we'd just be going around on the carousel. Um, he took us on some adventures and he actually taught me how to really lean in to Jesus. So I probably have him to thank for that. Um, but now his roller coaster has settled down. He's 25. He has met a gorgeous girl, um, fallen in love. And in October last year, they gave me my first grandbaby. <gasps> I know, thanks. Um, so yeah, here they are. Look at them. So that's Michael, his beautiful um, girl, Lisa, and their little baby, Alexander. So they're very in love, which is so nice to see. Um, let me see, where am I at? So my life doesn't particularly look like I dreamed it would look. Um, but thanks to Jesus and a fair amount of professional therapy, I have let go of the ideals I had and I've actually learned to love the reality. I've learned to love the story that has gone along with it. And here is our most recent real life family photo. Here we all are in, at Christmas this, <laughs> this year. Look at us. What a crazy mob. Like just three kids, two wheelchairs and two dogs and a baby. That should be a movie, I think. That should be a movie. Oh dear. So... That's a bit more about me, but I wonder what your real life picture looks like. I don't know any of you really, um, but I can imagine that there's a kaleidoscope of stories inside this room. I believe there's stories that, are, that would make you laugh, stories that would make you cry, stories that would make you feel on top of the world, um, but a lot of different stories. And I wonder where you are on your road of life. I wonder if you're right at the beginning with this big wide expanse in front of you thinking, I don't know what decisions to make. What, I don't know where I'm gonna go. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Or maybe you've made the decisions and you've traveled along really well for a certain amount of time and 
you've had to just take a pit stop. You've just pulled to the side of the road because maybe a health challenge has come up or maybe motherhood became bigger than you thought it would ever be, something that's just stopped you along the way. It's just a rest season, but there can be a lot of grief in that. Or maybe you figured, eh, I've done a lot. I think it's time for a rest. And um, you've actually pulled off into the rest stop and you're pretty much planning to stay there for as long as it takes until you get your motor going again. But I don't know where you are on that journey of life, but I do know that it's really, really important. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I wonder what your Jesus story looks like. Did you find him when you were four or did you find him when you were 40? Yeah? Was it a radical redemption? Or did he just come quietly to you? And was it in a whisper? Or was it a major event that changed your life? Because it does, right? It changes your life and it changes the story. So... I'm pretty sure you would imagine that my BC years might raise a few eyebrows. There were a lot of them. I won't actually um, even out my BC, sorry, before Christ years. My before Christ years won't even out with my after Christ years until I'm about 80. So we've got a long way to go. But my BC years would raise a few eyebrows. And I have often on this on my faith walk, wondered if they would discount me. You know, um, the choices I made and the shame that I've carried, which was extremely heavy at times, I wondered if that would discount me. I didn't ever believe that Jesus wouldn't want me or love me, but I did think that maybe he wouldn't need me to participate, you know? I, I imagine that he would bench me, like in a soccer game, and I could sit and I'm a part of the team and I'm really welcome and I can cheer everyone to victory, but I wouldn't probably have a part to play. I was just there to, you know, cheer everyone on. And I wonder, have you felt like that? Have you felt a bit benched in the past? Have you felt like... There's no role for you. Or maybe, like my childhood belief, maybe you believe that believing is enough and that everyone else does it. The pastors do it on Sunday or um, the worship team does it. They've all got a role to play. Um, The evangelists, they're amazing. Let them go out and do whatever they do. Um, You know, and you think, no, I just need to turn up to church or I just need to read my Bible or I need to listen to worship music. And yep, you actually absolutely do need to do all those things and they're great. But can I tell you that there's more for you there's more for you. Jesus has a plan and a purpose that is greater than you could ever imagine. And that's what I've been learning just over these last couple of years. So I wanted to share that with you, if it's okay. All right. So my favourite person in the Bible is Jesus. If you didn't say Jesus, like I almost didn't write down Jesus. And then I thought, Nikki, you better say Jesus. Um, But my second favourite person in the Bible is John the Baptist. Any John the Baptist fans here? He's a bit quirky. 
Um, he might not be your first choice as your second favourite, but that's okay. I'm going to introduce him to you again today because I have actually had such an affinity with him ever since I became a Christian. His, uh, one of his verses is the verse I've walked through life with. Um, I think maybe he was a bit peculiar and I actually probably felt a bit peculiar too, so he made me feel comfortable. Um, but yeah, let's have a quick look at his life. You can have a read later so you don't get the NAT version, the Nicole Angela Toomey version. You know, you pick up the proper leather-bound version um, at, when you can. But you'll find most of his life about how he was conceived um, in Luke chapter 1 um, and his pre-Jesus story in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 3. So I'm going to skip us through Luke chapter 1. But it was, uh, his father was Zechariah. He was a priest. His mother was Elizabeth, who actually was from the line of Aaron, which means they're both from priestly lines. Um, and Zechariah, his team of priests, NAT version, remember, his team of priests had been chosen to serve at the temple for this week. And during that week, he had been chosen by lot, which is in fact like a raffle. So, but he didn't win a meat tray. What he won was he won the, um, he was chosen to be the person to go into the inner sanctuary and burn the incense on the altar of God. It's so, it's such a special thing to do that they say that a priest might only do it once in their life, if at all. So this was, you know, spectacular for him. It was a career high. So he went into the inner sanctuary and an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And he said, Elizabeth will become pregnant and you'll have a son and you'll call him John. And Zechariah went, oh, Oh, hold on a minute. Have you seen Elizabeth? You know, we're a bit past it and we've come to, we've come, you know, come to the um, agreement that it's okay. This is the Lord's way. He was like, no, no, no. You must have a different Zechariah in mind. And the angel of the Lord said, no, I don't. But because you don't believe me, you're not going to speak now until the baby's born. NAT version. So, Zechariah comes out, everyone's there outside praying and they're all like, he couldn't speak and they realised something pretty amazing. He'd had a vision or something inside here. And so they were really waiting with bated breath to see what would happen. He finished his week's um, work at the temple, went home to Elizabeth. Elizabeth became pregnant. Long story short, a baby was born. They named him John and Zechariah began to speak. So that's how it was. At the end of Luke chapter 1 in verse 80, it said, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. John's actual ministry, John the Baptist's actual ministry began after he received a word from God when he was in the wilderness. And with that word, God sent him out into the town of Judea. In John, we're going to move to John. So if you've got a Bible, you can open it up to John because we're going to read a couple of scriptures here. My favourite book, remember? It's all a bit about favourites today. So in John chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, this is what it says. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. 
the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, please remember that, light to everyone was coming into the world. Love that. John walked into town. He looked different. He acted different. He ate different things. I imagine he smelt different. He was just very different. And he came with a strong message. He was calling people to be baptised to prove that they would repent of their sins and that God would forgive them. And this was a new thing in the culture of the day. He had to be a little bit different because he had a very different message to bring to the people as well. But the people loved him. People came to him and God knew, didn't he? He purposed him and he planned him and he placed him to do what he needed to do, and that was to make a way for Jesus. So the story goes on. John baptises Jesus. We know that he says that he's the Messiah because the Holy Spirit comes down on him. Um, And then Jesus goes off and has his own wilderness season. And then he comes back out and starts recruiting his disciples. Um, He turns water into wine at a wedding. We all know that one. And his disciples begin baptising people. And this is where we lead into my all-time favourite verse of the Bible. Now, I do think maybe it was my all-time favourite because it's really short, so it's easy to remember. But it is John 3.30. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. But let's look at the scriptures leading up to that. So John 3, we're going to read from verse 28, John 3, 28 to 30. You yourselves know plainly, I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. You know, at the beginning of my faith journey, I think I loved that scripture because I thought, I can just hide behind Jesus. I can just fade into the background. No one will look at me. No one will ask me questions that I will find uncomfortable to answer. Um, I can just be this big and Jesus can be this big. You know what I mean? But of course, that's not what it's about. The other reason I want to highlight one of my favourite verses to you is because I really hope it will become one of your favourites as well, because it has a really special meaning to me. The whole point of taking you through the story of John the Baptist is to show you that you can be one too. And this, I feel this is the thing God has given me to carry and the message he's asked me to bring as I travel through my life from last year onwards. Last year in April 2021, God gave a word to me. I was in my quiet time reading my Bible um, and he said to me, I am raising up a new era of John the Baptist to make a way for the second coming of Jesus. And I was reading John at the time. So I thought, oh, that's, yeah, great. No worries. I wrote it down and I went to bed that night and I could not get to sleep. Have you ever had one of those times where he does not let you go to sleep? And you're like, oh, please. And so I was in, it was like Ted and I was, okay, I'll get up and I'll write it down. 
So I got up and I wrote it down. And I'm like, there you go, written it down, going back to bed. Went back to bed. Nope. Would not let me go to sleep. It was, I was like, are you kidding me? I wrote it down. Anyway, got back up. It was about 11 by now. And um, I got back to bed at 1.30. And I had written what I believed to be a preach. But in actual fact, it ended up being a book. But through the process of writing that book, Jesus showed me that this call, this call that God had said that he's raising up a new era of John the Baptist was not just for a few people. It was actually for anybody who would choose to say, yes, here I am, take me. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, because with your story, you become a John the Baptist of this modern day world and you make a way for Jesus. And I'm excited because we do it together. Yeah? All right. So you are purposed and planned, just as John was. Read it, Psalm 139, 16, we've got to bring it up. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Now, I don't know how that sits with you. Mostly, I feel nice and comforted by that. But I know there's been moments in my life and things that have happened where I've actually gone, really? (laughs) Really, God? And there's been times when I've said, why? Why did that happen? Why don't I have the perfect family I dreamed of? Why have we had so much pain and grief? And I'm sure there'll be moments of your stories as well where you might say the same. When Abby was, uh, it was Christmas before she turned four and she had developed having seizures. She had lost the sight, her sight, because of um, she'd had multiple brain operations. We had had a lengthy hospital career Um, and it was Christmas Eve and she was having a seizure and the seizure went for over an hour. Um, didn't The ambulance came, we went to hospital, didn't seem like any amount of medication would stop this seizure and then eventually it did. But she ended up in ICU that night, intubated because the medicine that stopped the seizure also stopped her breathing. So she needed someone to breathe, a machine to breathe for her. Um, I tell you this because up until that time, Abby had made some great, she'd gone ahead in leaps and bounds. She had 12 words in her vocabulary. She was pulling herself up to stand. She could move herself around on the floor on her bottom, scooting backwards. And we were really excited because at that time, she had what they labelled global developmental delay, which we thought that means she can catch up. No problem. So at that stage, we were like, she's going to go to kindy with her sister. This is going to be great. And then that seizure came and it took every single skill she'd learned away. She couldn't even sit up, let alone stand up. She had no words. She um, didn't interact like she was interacting. And I basically lost my daughter again. That's what it felt. And I remember sitting in that hospital room and thinking, Why? (laughs) Why, God? Why would you do this? 
how can any of this come to any kind of good? It was early in my faith walk. I knew how to question God and ask him. I didn't necessarily know how to lean on his strength. And so I was a broken mess. And in that room, I felt him come. You know that feeling? And he just whispered in my ear, I will use your story. I will use your story. And I'm here to tell you today, he will use yours too. He absolutely, definitely will. No matter where you are on your path of life, it doesn't matter if you've stayed on his path forever, if you have taken some detours, if you have joined it late, he has purposed and planned you for his story. You have a part to play in the coming of Jesus and he is coming. Isn't that the good news, right? That he is coming. So let me tell you how I can be sure of that. I've got another story. I hope you're okay with stories. Um, Okay, so I started going to church. We tried to go to church when our girls were two. I had this real tugging on me, like I should be at church. We tried when they were two. It was ridiculously too hard. It was getting two babies in the car, a wheelchair, a nine-year-old, like, and then getting them all out at the other end. It was not going to work. So we left it. And then when they were three, uh, they were old enough for me to leave at home with Cam. I would put Abby in a, like a little bumbo seat inside a playpen so Lucy couldn't get to her and, you know, try and scratch her eyes out like twins do. And Lucy would just run around the house and Cam could wrangle them for an hour. It was an hour service. So I would rush in just as worship was starting and I would sneak out as soon as the last word was said. And it was on my um, second time of doing this. All their tech stuff didn't work. There was no sound on the morning. Nothing was working and they didn't know why. I don't know if they planned this or if it was a really good pivot, but they preached about becoming unplugged with God. And this idea that if you turned off all the noise and you got rid of all the distractions, that God would come and he would speak to you. And I was sitting there, you know, believing God, you go to heaven. I believed that, well, when I go to heaven, that's when I'll get to hang out with God. So I was like, what? It was such a new thing for me. When they finished up, I left and the lady, um, as I was walking away, she said, oh, so glad you're here. You're so strong. I hate that. I hated that word strong. Um, And I was like, oh, thanks. See ya. And I ran to my car. And as soon as I got into the safety of my car, oh, the tears just came. And I was bawling my eyes out. And I was like, I'm not strong. I'm not strong. I do not feel strong. Anyway, I was sitting there crying for a bit. And I remembered what they had said that, oh, if you turn your noise off, you can speak to God and he'll speak to you. I was like, hmm. give it a go, can't hurt. So once the tears had gone away, started my car, turned the radio off, put it in drive and I drove off. Before I drove off, I I cried out to God and I said, God, if you are real, you need to show me how I'm going to do this because I don't know how I'm going to do this. I was at a really dark place in my life. Um, I was at at that place where I was ready to go to heaven and meet God. I'd had enough. Each day I would wake up and I would think, is today the day? Can you take me today? 
I would never, I was never courageous enough to think that I might go there myself, but I was just, I would just think, please God, can today be the day? It was dark. And so when I drove off on that day, I'd literally got down the road, maybe not even a kilometre, and stopped at a red traffic light. And as I was sitting at the red traffic light, this woman comes walking up the pathway towards me, and she has on this bright pink T-shirt, right? Favourite colour, eyes drawn. And it has these big black letters all over the front that say, we're in this together. Now, I wish I had have had your reaction. The light turned green, I put the car into drive and off we went down the road. But later that day, honestly, it was like someone actually reached down and tapped me on the shoulder. Like they pulled my mind back to that moment. And I've, I was like, oh, this realisation came over me. I had asked God, how am I going to do it? And he had sent a woman in a pink T-shirt that said, we're in this together. And from that moment on, I was like, God is real and he talks to me and I can talk to him. And isn't it amazing? So I tell you that story because I often wonder if that woman just randomly put on that T-shirt that day. But I don't think she did. I like to think that she was, you know, scanning her wardrobe, looking for the right thing to wear. And she heard that voice that said, that one, pick that one. And she was like, hmm, all right. And she put it on. She had no idea, but he did. He knew I would go to church that day. He knew I would hear that message. He knew I'd get in my car. And he knew I would cry out to him. He was waiting for it. And that woman... I like to believe that her obedience saved my life. That pink T-shirt saved my life. For him to become greater, it doesn't mean that we fade into the background. It means that we actually come forward and say, arms wide open wide, here I am. Here's my story, bloody and bruised or pristine and perfect, but use it anyway. You can. That's what it means. It means when he becomes greater, we understand the part we have to play. We understand that we're not a spectator, that we actually have been designed and purposed to fill a spot on the team, and it's not to warm the bench. And when he becomes greater, we just say, take my life. I want you as my centre. When we do make him the centre of our world, that's when his light shines the brightest, right? Remember that verse, his light came to everyone. Every single one of us carries his light. And when he's the centre of our world, it can't help but shine. It just can't. A few weeks before I was asked to come and do this, um, I was woken up in the middle of the night. It doesn't happen to me often, I'm, I'm not that... I'm not that holy or spiritual, but, you know, I woke up with these words running through my head and I'd put my phone beside my bed, which I never do, and I picked up my phone and if you're at the age that I'm at, your eyes don't work very well as soon as you open them up. So I couldn't see the key, so I was just typing with my eyes shut the words that I heard in my head. And these are the words. It said, It is Jesus' light. 
Do we recognise that and shine it accordingly? And how do we show it? Do we do it justice? And when I woke up the next morning and I read those words, miraculously I could read them, um, I was like, ooh, that's, yeah, okay, that's a good reminder. But when we get out of the way, when we get out of the way, remembering that Jesus lives in us, that's when his light will shine the brightest and that's when we will shine it accordingly. We just need to get out of the way. We need to bring his light into the world. I do feel like I might be preaching to the choir here, but I hope some of this is resonating. We may never know the impact we have. We may never know the people who come home because we shone Jesus's light and mostly without even realising we did it, just like that pink T-shirt lady. I really hope that I get the chance to tell her one day what she did for me. So are you in? That's the question I've come with, come here with today for you. Are you ready to shine the light of Jesus through your ordinary, everyday, real life story? Are you ready to believe that you can change the world by choosing to shine Jesus' light? I mean, how do we do it? We shine his light with our smile. We shine his light with how we interact with each other, how we interact with strangers, how you pay for your petrol, how you um, empathise with people, how you make time for people, how you use your time, and through the story you tell. Will you let people collect the jigsaw pieces of your story? Because that will allow Jesus' light to shine. So having said that, I really hope I haven't gone too long. But having said that, I want to invite you just into some time. We're going to play a song and um, I want you to sit and just have, have, just have a moment with God. I believe that some of you might be sitting here thinking, oh, I'm not too sure about that, you know. And others might be like, yep. You know, when Mary came to visit Elizabeth and John leapt in the womb, that's you. You guys are there and you're ready to go. But I want you just to sit for a moment, take it to Jesus, don't take my word for it. And then when you're ready during this song, I would love you to come up and take one of these candles. The other day it just dropped in my spirit that I should bring these and that you should take a reminder home with you to put where you can see it, to remind you that Jesus is the light in you and you do hold everything you need to be able to shine that well. And he asked me to use a candle. This is going to be interesting, holding a microphone and lighting a match. So I might put the microphone down. And he said, I wanted you to use a candle because the flame is fragile. His light isn't fragile. His light is strong and it's powerful. But the ability to keep that flame where everyone can see it is fragile. It takes a concerted effort 
to keep that flame in front and shining light. And he wanted to encourage you that you have what you need within you. And sometimes maybe you'll feel like the flame's gone out because a gust of wind will come or a storm will come in life or a down day will happen. But he wants, you to, he wants to remind you that all it takes is an upward glance to him and it's at the front again. So I'm going to leave you with that and let's just sit and soak with Jesus and then come and grab your candle. Thank you.